This is from Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We pray with me. Lord Jesus, what we just heard from Scripture is an invitation. But there are always obstacles in our lives that keep us from following the invitation of Jesus. Remove those obstacles here in this time and space. Do what only you can do. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us in these few moments together. In Jesus' name, amen. I forgot to flush. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I tried and failed. I spent a lot of time, way too much time, wondering what actually happened on that particular day. If I were writing a friendly fiction based on true events, I would say in the few quiet moments I had sitting alone in that hallway bathroom, something sparked an idea in my 13-year-old active mind. Maybe I left in a flurry to chase down whatever dream had captured my imagination in that given moment. Ideation is my gift and my curse. Maybe I reached back and pushed the lever, heard the sound, and didn't look back. It was one of those commodes, after all, the kind that required the holding down of the handle until you see the water disappear. You know the ones. I don't know that to be factually true. I don't know if that's really how it happened, but this is my friendly fiction. What I do know is whether or not I forgot or failed, the outcome was the same. Now, I had a fantastic father, mostly playful, gentle, generous, and wise. He had always, had almost completely rerouted his family trajectory. He did not abandon us like his criminal father abandoned him. He was not physically abusive like his monster of an alcoholic stepfather abused him. My dad, in my estimation, was utterly different. He was my hero. He had beat the system. He had bucked the trend. Or had he? Of all the people on, on, uh, on all the days, it was my dad who walked into that hallway bathroom and was accosted by the unpleasant smell and the unsightly vision of my empty bowels. Now, if I were to write a friendly fiction based on true events, I'd say it was one of those overly stressful days for my dad, a day that culminated the mounting tension of weeks and months of unreasonable people leveraging impossible expectations on my dad's limited capacity and our livelihood, and his very identity was being threatened. Maybe it felt like the whole world was falling apart, and this smelly bathroom, this unflushed toilet was just 
the tipping point. Now, certainly this was not the first time I had failed or forgotten, but it was the first and only time I can remember my dad reacting this way. When he found out it was a mistake, my mistake, something snapped in him. He snapped. He aggressively and perhaps violently, angrily shoved me into that hallway bathroom, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, and pushed me down toward the toilet, inches away from my failure and forgetfulness. He shouted. I'll spare you the details of what he said. But I remember the feeling of pain in my body and shame in my soul. This was the one and only time I can remember my dad doing anything remotely close to physical abuse to me. Now, if any of you have grown up in a family of origin situation or been in a relationship where abuse happened, you know that these things typically don't just happen once. They're typically the result of a pattern and typically a multi-generational pattern. But for some reason, somehow my dad had been able to stay the trajectory of his family of origin until that moment. For the next couple of days, I kept my distance and he kept his. I can't help but wonder what it must have been like for him in that space, asking himself again and again, how did this happen? In spite his best intentions, he had become, at least in that moment, someone he didn't want to become. In fact, he became the very person he told himself he would never become. How did it happen? One day, we will all wake up and realize that we've become someone, a certain kind of someone. Who will you become? Who will you be in that moment when you've realized who you have become? Are we just destined to repeat the mistakes of those who have gone before us? Well, of course not. But you're going to need more than good intentions. I'm going to need more than good intentions if I'm going to become the person I most deeply want to become, a person liberated from my past, a person fully alive, fully empowered to do the next right thing. Despite what social media influencers and the smartest Stoics say, your willpower, your discipline, or even your circumstances are not what's going to determine the person you become. It will only be your discipleship, your rabbi. Make no mistake about it. You have a rabbi. You are a disciple of someone or something. The thoughts that have most captured your imagination, the story you believe, the habits you form, 
the people that you most relate with and the place you inhabit, the culture you inhabit, they are all trying to shape you, to disciple you, to be your rabbi. Everybody has a chosen aim for your life, but what do you do in those moments when you realize you're not who you thought you were? You're not on the path you thought you were going. You are a disciple. You have a rabbi. But do you know who your rabbi is? When Mary finally recognized Jesus in the garden after the resurrection, after she had mistaken him for the gardener, she called him rabbi. Rabbi, of course, means teacher, but not in the same way that we think about teachers today. It's much more than that. Rabbi was the most common way people referred to Jesus. It not only represented a prestigious title in that culture, but a highly disciplined way of life. Rabbis had disciples. Disciples who would someday become like their rabbis and do what he did and name disciples. But first, they were required to be with their rabbi. You didn't get to go home with your kindergarten teacher as much as you might have wanted to. But the first question the would-be disciples of Jesus asked him was this. Where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Where are you remaining? Why? Because they knew that to be a disciple meant to be with your rabbi. To give your life, the next portion of your life, to become like your rabbi. And to eventually, at all costs and in any possible way, do what your rabbi did. The English word today that we have closest to disciple is the word apprentice. The apprentice is always paired with a master. And we have an amazing UCLA surgeon who used to be at NYU. Uh, one of the foremost surgeons in his particular field. And he has a number of surgical residents that are with him at a given time. He has them over for dinner. He spends untold hours with them. But being Vic's surgical resident is not just to know what he knows. It's also to become like him, to know his ways. In the same way, means that you don't just want to know what he knows. Yes, he wants to teach you. Yes, he wants to give you doctrine and understanding, and he wants to help you have wisdom. Yes, all of those things. But first and most, he wants you to become like him and ultimately do what he did. So the goal of discipleship to the rabbi Jesus is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Or, or we like to say around here, do Jesus-y kinds of things. Do Jesus-y things. And that's the invitation. It's not a command. It's not a demand. It's not a, 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 a from-on-high manipulation and exploitation of people. That's not what it is. It's life. It's eternal life available here and now. You see, for many generations in the past century, we've done an amazing job of giving an invitation. But have we done a good enough job of giving the full invitation? 
You see, the invitation is not just to go to heaven some way, someday when you die. It's not less than that, but it's so much more than that. The invitation to follow Jesus is not just to go to heaven or to keep you out of hell. The invitation to follow Jesus is to get heaven in you, to get hell out of you. How do you do that? To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. Or to say it another way, to practice the way of Jesus together in Santa Barbara. And that's the question for today, the aim of our charge. How do you do it? Can we really be with Jesus? Can we really become like him? Can we really do what Jesus did? Let's unpack each of those things and see what God might have for us today on offer. Number one, be with Jesus. If you have your Bible still open to the Gospel of Mark, flip back just a couple of chapters to Mark chapter 3. Let's look at verse 14. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, we get a little insight as to what Jesus had in mind when he called his disciples. Mark 3, 14 says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. So there it is. From the beginning, Jesus shows a discipleship path. Yes, he's going to give his disciples wisdom and understanding. And yes, they're going to experience abundant life and get to do some pretty amazing things. And they absolutely did. They did some of the things that Jesus did. But discipleship to Jesus, responding to the call to follow Jesus, begins simply with being with him. Abundant life, life with Jesus, to be with Jesus is where transformation starts. Real lasting change, you becoming the person you most want to be, starts here, returns here, ultimately never leaves this place of being with Jesus. As Tyler Staten says, there's nothing more important, nothing more meaningful than the human experience, nothing that communicates more deeply to the human heart than the simple four-letter word, with. Back in February, I had almost three dozen friends come from Tulsa, Oklahoma, actually from all over the United States, to come. It was almost like a wedding uh, feast we had so many friends come for our installation service. Joseph and I had our commissioning service. Many of you were here for that. And it was such a joy to see so many people. I hugged lots of necks. I shared lots of coffee and lots of meals with a lot of different people. But there were two particular people who never left my side. They didn't care about consuming all that Santa Barbara had to on offer. They'd never been before. They likely won't come for a long time. They just wanted to be with me. This was my brother, John, and my lifelong friend, Playl. Everywhere I went, they rode with me. They didn't have to be a part of the conversation. When they saw me engaged in a conversation, they just hung back. They just wanted to be with me. You know what it's like to want someone just to be with you in the biggest celebrations of our lives and the darkest seasons of our lives. We just want to be with someone. That's part, the best part of following Jesus is Jesus. 
Jesus really is on offer. You really can be with him anytime, anywhere. No matter how good your life is going, no matter how miserable your life is, no matter how close you feel to God, no matter how far you feel from God, no matter how righteous you think you've been, and or no matter how much of a sinner, how much disqualified you feel like you are, Jesus is as close as your next breath. He's as close as you turning your attention to him. Do you know that there's a, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says that every time you simply think on his name, that they write it down in a book. You know what? When you're thinking about God, when you're in that moment where you're, where, you're, where you're feeling down and you're feeling like nobody's with you, just say that. Just say, God, write me down in your book because I'm thinking about you. Write me down in that book in heaven because I'm thinking about your name. I don't feel like I'm close to you, but I'm thinking about your name. At least I know you're keeping track of our relationship because you love me. And if you love Jesus, if you do love Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, and I realize that's not everybody in this room or everyone listening online, but if you do have a relationship with Jesus, it's because he loved you first. He came to you and rescued you. Scripture says your feet were in the miry clay. He lifted you out and put you on a rock. He said, scripture says you were lost and without hope. And he came and he breathed life into your spirit. It was not his power or his fame or promise of a good life that compelled you to follow him. No matter what you think, that's not the case. It was his love. It's the love of Jesus that compels us to follow. I've spent about a lifetime, as far back as I can remember, knowing that reality. It's because of my dad. more days sure of this. Jesus is the only rabbi worth following. Following Jesus, making him your rabbi, requires a commitment we call discipleship. It begins with being with Jesus. He's the only rabbi, though, the only one who wants to shape you with this promise. He looks at you and he extends his hand and he says, your allegiance to me will never outrun my commitment to you. Do you know that's the hardest thing? That is the hardest thing for you to believe. If you keep coming to this church every Sunday, I'm going to tell you every week how much Jesus loves you. I'm going to tell you every week how much he did for you, how much he loves you with an everlasting love. He told Israel, I loved you because I loved you, not because of anything you've done, not because of your family of origin. I loved you because I loved you, and I've loved you with an everlasting love. I will keep telling you, Jesus loves you. There's nothing you can do that disqualifies you from that love or separates you from that love, but you will have the hardest time believing that love when it matters most. And do you know that's the point? 
That's the point of growth. That's the point where discipleship happens. Becoming the person you want to become is about those moments when you don't feel loved. Becoming the person you want to become is not, you know what? I thought I would be married by now. I thought we would have kids by now. I thought we'd have this amount of money in the bank by now. I thought I'd have, be further along vocationally now. I thought I'd have a better grade point average now. It has almost nothing to do with those things. What it has to do with is in spite of those things, in the midst of those things, are you able to receive the open invitation of Jesus who looks at you and names you and calls you beloved it's in those moments that you stiff arm the trajectory of your family of origin, that you stiff arm the failures of your past, and you take a step toward becoming like Jesus. He's the only rabbi worth following. Be with Jesus. His love, being with him, is worth giving your life to one moment at a time, but of course, there's always a catch. What's the catch, the cynical mind or the logical mind says? Of course there's a catch. There's always a catch. There's always a branch that snags your sweater as you're walking through the forest with Jesus. What is the catch? There's always a catch. You marry that dream person. You marry that dream person, and guess what? She comes with a catch. There's another person now in your life who's all up in your personal space all day, every day. That's not the only catch. That's just one of them. Having kids is a dream. Some of you have wanted kids since you were very small, and you have kids, and it's a dream. But guess what? There's a catch. Before you have kids, it just seems amazing. It just seems like, man, I, it, it, this is just a dream come true to have kids. But as comedian Michael McIntyre says, simple things like leaving the house become nearly impossible when you have kids. Before you have kids, here's how it works. Hey, honey, you want to leave the house? Yeah, let's leave the house. You leave the house. If you have kids, you know that's not how it works anymore. If you have kids, you say, hey, honey, you want to leave the house? Okay, we got to start preparing the kids. Hey, kids, at 3 o'clock today, you've got a party. you got to be ready, okay? Great. An hour. Alarm. Hey, alarm. Alarm, alarm. One hour until we leave. Be ready. 30 minutes. Hey, don't forget. Get up. Turn YouTube off. Put your clothes on. Be ready. 15 minutes. It's time to leave. It's past time to leave. No one has moved. All of the pairs are not pairs anymore. There are no more pairs of socks. There are no more pairs of shoes. All the shirts have stains on them. Where do these stains come from? We can't find the jacket. Doesn't matter. We have to go. Where's Bronson? We haven't seen Bronson in hours. There's always a catch. What's the catch? What's the catch with discipleship to Jesus? What's the catch with being with Jesus? Jesus. Well, the big catch of being with Jesus is that he always sticks us with other people. 
You see, Jesus' 12 close disciples happened to be happened to relationally bridge every socioeconomic, ideological, and political line that existed in the first century of Israel. He called blue-collar workers, tax collectors, zealots, all into the same inner circle. That's beautiful for us to reflect back on the radical diversity of that group. But for those who actually were called to be with Jesus, it was a catch. It was difficult. There was real tension to work through in order to say yes, to continue to follow that rabbi. Time and time again, their loyalty, their allegiance to their rabbi was tested and questioned, mostly through this group that they had to interact with. So if you're looking for a solitary, just me and my journal and my earbuds with, earbuds with some beautiful ambient playlist version of following Jesus, you will not find that in the pages of Scripture. You see, what the life of Jesus unmistakably tells us is this. There's no version of being with Jesus that does not come with others as well, including and maybe especially those that you would most want to dismiss from the group. You see, the community of Jesus is not an ideal community. They were a community, though, that could most shape one another. Maybe Jesus still knows what he's doing. When he calls us not to our hand-picked ideal community, the pipe dream community of our imagination, but to the real community you'll find in a place like this one a community where you might actually dismiss a person or two, if you could, from that community, is the community that is most ripe, most ready to help shape you into the image of Jesus. You see, what can sometimes feel like a catch or a sneaky fine print that slipped through the cracks is in fact an inestimably precious Practicing the way of Jesus together in Santa Barbara first requires being with Jesus. Now become like Jesus. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this point because we're going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks. How do you actually change? How do you actually become like Jesus? But I do want to point your attention back to something Dodie read in our scripture back in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Did you notice something? Jesus was the most brilliant the most powerful, the most anointed, the most highly anticipated, the most prophesied rabbi to ever live. To become like him was an invitation that any Hebrew child, boy, girl, would want to take him up on. But did you notice how broad the invitation was? Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to save their life, whoever loses their life for me and the gospel's sake will 
save it. Jesus didn't say, hey, listen up, religious elites, come here. He didn't say, hey, anyone who is emotionally healthy, come follow me. Hey, if you're from a good family, right this way. Wait until you get your money right, then you can come follow me. Wait until you get that particular sin cleaned up, then you can follow me. That's not what he says. He says, whoever, no other rabbi in history has as broad and inclusive of an invitation as Jesus. Whoever wants to be my disciple can be my disciple. This is the opposite of how we name things valuable now. The way we name things valuable now, that they're in bountiful supply, they usually don't cost that much. We don't usually uh, uh, um, put much value on them, but not Jesus. He takes the most valuable thing on offer in the planet, in the universe, in all of creation, and he makes it available super abundantly to whoever will. Other translations say anyone. Or whoever wants to be my disciple in the narrow way must take up his cross and follow me. Jesus' invitation is as broad as can be, but the road is as narrow as can be. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to you becoming the person you most deeply want to be. Matthew chapter 7, I'll just read it for the sake of time. Matthew chapter 7 says, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 2 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, who did spend time with Jesus, he did become like Jesus. He did do what Jesus did. Look at what he says. He says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Pastor Stephen, I thought this whole thing was about grace. Well, you better believe it's grace. You better believe it's about grace. But do you know who burns the most grace fuel? People who are becoming like Jesus. It's not sinners who are burning the most grace. It's those who are receiving grace from glory to glory that are becoming. Those who are putting effort into becoming more like Jesus. Dallas Willard famously said, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. John Mark Comer says it this way, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to take on the lifestyle of Jesus. He also says this, the way of Jesus is simple, but it's not easy. Listen to what Dallas to the return 
the price we pay to follow Jesus, whatever it might be, will acquire for us, listen to this, the most astounding bargain of our lives. So Jesus' invitation is broad. His ways are narrow, and it's the bargain of our lives. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and finally, quickly, do what Jesus did, or do Jesus he things. Again, that second part of Mark chapter 8, verse 35, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this, than, he la- than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You want to know what doing Jesus-y things means? It means becoming a person of love. It means becoming a community of love. And that can only happen through that transformation by degree that I talked about a moment ago. Receiving the love of God. You see, you think, this, you think Scripture talks a lot about failure in sin. It does. The Old Testament in particular. I mean, you just read the book of Genesis and you see this terrible downward spiral. But what you see is that the people that uh, David, who, had a, who was a man after God's own heart, what made him that way was not that he didn't sin. In fact, he was a far worse person than Saul was, King Saul was, who preceded him. It was what David did with his sin that made him a man after God's own heart. It's because he received the love of God in such a way that he was able to be a channel for it, to give it super abundantly. So that's the invitation of Jesus, to be with him, to become like him, to do what he did. Not in some distant future place, but in the actual place you live, in the actual body you inhabit, with the actual family of origin you have, the actual history you have, the amount of money you have in your bank account. The, the, what, no, who, it doesn't matter. Where you are right now, is the place to follow Jesus. And he's inviting you to come. If you're exploring this whole Jesus thing and you're not sure about church, I just want you to know you're welcome here. Sincerely. Everyone around you agrees with this. You are so welcome to belong exactly where you are, even if you don't take a step. You're welcome to walk this out as long as it takes the rest of your life. But if you consider reality Santa Barbara, your church home, if we are your church family, I want to lay before you an understanding of what it means to be a full participant in this family. Don't hear this as a heavy weight. Hear this as an invitation. There are five commitments that people who call Reality Santa Barbara home, that call this their family, a member of this household. Here's what we do. Number one, we commit to practice the way of Jesus. That just means this. We order our lives around that little move, becoming like Jesus. Practicing. It's going to take practice. You're not going to get it right tomorrow. You're not going to willpower your way to becoming like Jesus. There's a community on offer, and that's the second thing we're asking you to commit to. Live in community. We're actually going to organize our church around 
these smaller reality communities that meet midweek here in this, they're going to meet in this season, in the fall semester, in this space. Mackenzie talked about the invitation. That's for everybody here. Hear this. That's for everyone here, everyone within the sound of my voice. This is not for smart people. It's not for people who know the Bible. This is, this is for anyone who is interested. Come be a part of these communities. Just show up Wednesday at 630. We'll take care of you. We'll feed you. We'll break bread together. And we'll just t- talk about what this next season means. The third commitment we're asking is this. Gather on Sundays. If you are a, if this is your family, we just ask you to prioritize the Sunday worship gathering. I totally understand travel and recreation, and boy, do I love it too. I hope, I sincerely hope it fills your cup. But when you're here in Santa Barbara, the invitation to be a part of this family is to make Sundays a priority. Come hang out with us. There's something that happens when we gather that helps shape you, that's a resource to you. It's like working out in the morning. You hit the snooze button, and you have any number of, edu- of justifications as to why you don't work out. But you know what you never regret? Getting up and working out. When you, come to your, when, when you wake up on a Sunday morning, you have every, there's, there are all kinds of understandable, reasonable excuses not to show up on a Sunday morning. Do you know there are people that travel 45 minutes to an hour to come to this church on Sunday mornings? You can travel five minutes, 15 minutes. You can do it. You can walk. There are people who walk across town. You can do it. I believe in you. That's not meant to be a heavy burden. That's meant to be an invitation. The fourth thing is to serve. Most of what we do around here is volunteer run. I'm not asking because I need your help, though we do need it. I'm asking for your sake. There's a gift on offer for you when you serve. There's something on offer that helps you be shaped in the image of Jesus. There are things offer on offer on Sundays and on Wednesdays in which you can serve, but there are also we also want you to participate in our outreach and our global uh, our, our global outreach partners, both here and around the world. More on that to, to come. And the fifth thing is to give. We talked about this earlier. We are a church in the most ancient sense of the word. That includes people being, that includes being a people of generosity. We exist entirely, won't you know this, entirely on the generosity of this family. We practice generosity as a church, giving to local and national outreach. We support missionaries. We support local missionaries. 10% is what's called the tithe. We get that from Scripture. We don't just make that up. In fact, Old Testament, it was more than 10%. It was more like 38%. If you want to do the calculations, meet me after. I'll help you get there. But if you're not giving at all, sincerely, 1% would be a phenomenal place to start. Just start where you are. Or if you've been giving so long that it's it's just automatic, you never even think about it, maybe it's time for you to give over and above the biblical watermark of 10% and pursue generosity in your own life. I'm aware of fully aware of the difficulties of a pastor standing in front of a group of people in the United States of America in general, Santa Barbara in particular, and talking about money. I'm, I'm fully aware of that. But I do it boldly because I'm also deeply committed to every last bit of the way of Jesus. 
and so happens to include generosity. I've lived it my whole life. I live it now. I live it here. And I just simply invite you to be surprised. Scripture says, test me. God says, test me. Come on. I dare you to test me in this space and see if I will not bless you. And those are the five commitments. Practice the way of Jesus. Live in community. Gather on Sunday. Serve and give. That's what it means to be a part of this family. I just want you to see that as an invitation. And right now, I want to invite our worship team to come. We're just going to respond to Jesus' invitation to be with him. But before we do, I want to tell you one last thing. Did I fail or did I forget? It's not just a question I ask myself with that incident, with the whole flushing the toilet and that dark moment in my relationship with my dad, but it's also a question he asked himself. Did I forget who I was or did I try and fail? My dad responded to the invitation of Jesus to receive love and to become a person of love. This week, my dad celebrates his 77th birthday. He's still a full-time pastor. Last year, about this time, my mom went to be with Jesus. And I got to see the fruit of my dad's life. A lifetime of being shaped into the image of Jesus. This morning, he wakes up and he realizes he has become a person of love. At my mom's memorial service, there were people who came to me and said, do you know your dad came to the hospital when no one would? He laid hands on me. He prayed for me, and I was healed. My, your, your dad came to me when my son had done something despicable, disgraceful, embarrassing, and he was the one who showed up in that space. Your dad married us. Your dad married our kids. Your dad baptized our kids. Your dad taught me to pray. Your dad taught me this, to know scripture. Your dad helped me get into ministry. Story after story after story of a man who decided, I'm not going to let my past define me. I'm not going to let my worst moment of fatherhood define me. I'm going to step into the reality of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Wherever you are on your journey with Jesus, please hear me. The invitation is to just say yes. To respond to his call, he first loved you. Will you respond by saying yes? Stand to your feet, if you will. We're going to respond in worship. Communion is on offer here at the front. Intimacy with God is on offer as well here at the carpets. If you came in this morning with a heavy burden, do not leave without letting us pray with you. We'll have prayer partners available. Let's respond to the loving invitation of Jesus who says, whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple. Let's respond to the loving invitation of Jesus who says, whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple can simply follow me.
Let's say yes.